When is a good time to finally find your purpose if you haven't found it yet? And what do you need to do to go about finding it? And if you haven't gotten there yet, do you just keep plugging? Is there something to do? We talk a lot about that today. We also talk about the path to purchasing an existing business. If you've got that entrepreneurship bug, but you're not the creative business type and some amazing online marketing strategies. We focus on how you use it for software, but these can be applied to any business. So dive in, you do not wanna miss this. Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, SD Rand. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. I've got a fun guest with us today, Mark Summy. Welcome to the show. Hi, SD. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you here. Guys, Mark is the CEO of Minute 7, which does time and expense tracking for professional service businesses. Sounds convenient. Minute 7 helps professional service businesses get paid faster from their customers. Company is bootstrapped and has thousands of users and has doubled its revenue in the last year. Before that, Mark worked in finance and private equity, and he worked with a lot of successful entrepreneurs along the way before deciding to make the leap himself. He walks into the office every day and loves the autonomy that comes with running your own business. I totally agree with that one. In his younger days, Mark had ambitions for comedy and completed training at Second City in Chicago. Now lives in the suburbs with three kids under the age of five and he sleeps sometimes. <laughs> I get yeah. that. I had three under the age of four at one point. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we're in the throes of it. Yes. It's all good. Yeah. It does. It does get better. Um, yeah. I have five kids now and my oh, youngest wow. just got out of diapers four months ago. Oh, congrats. I'm looking forward to that milestone. Yes. Yeah. It's like it a whole feels, different world. Yeah. Diaper-free. It feels Diaper very free freeing, just the sound of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So talk to me a little bit about this entrepreneurial leap because I made a similar sure. journey myself. Um, at what point were you like, okay, I'm done here. All these people are having more fun than me. I got to do yeah. this myself. Like what, what was that? Yeah. No, you really, I mean, you really capture it by your description. I, I had those feelings, but it was a slow burn for me. SD. It was like, I worked at a bank, um, which in general people are not very entrepreneurial that work at a bank. It sort of collects a group of people that are maybe, you know, less entrepreneurial. Um, Is it super boring? I'm always curious. I feel like it's like you play Monopoly be. all day because yeah. like you just need to play with money. <laughs> no, you're, you're nor it's like a lot of spreadsheets and financial statement. That was the I was in the commercial lending group, so I just didn't feel like that fulfilling. I guess it was. I saw my boss, and I saw my boss's boss, and I thought, oh, I could do that, and then it just I didn't want it. Um, it wouldn't seem like the right path for me. Kind of like if that's where I'm headed, yeah. Me off. Like I'm. <laughs> so so I, it took me a little like while to realize that, but I did realize it at some point. And then it was, all right. Well, 
what am I going to do? Because <laughs> there's sort of lots of things you can do if you want to be an entrepreneur. Um, so it was, I just sort of went through that sort of nights and weekends. I was sort of working on things, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I've quick or eventually landed on like software and, and uh, tech startups was sort of where I wanted to go. How, um, how, how did you land there from bank spreadsheet? That's not an intuitive. Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> I should be more thoughtful about that. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I guess if I think about a buckets, like I didn't know how to um, like do anything in retail. So like the idea of opening like a retail based product seemed too foreign to me. Um, there's a lot of professional services companies. Like you could be like a consultant to something and that, um, I actually did that for a little bit. <laughs> um, and I'll get into that, but I sort of have a winding path to where I am now, but, um, why I focused on software was, um, some of it was actually finance because of the financial analysis I was seeing. Like we did have a customer or two that was in software and I just saw how, uh, good the business model was. Like you could, no like expenses, if, lots and lots of profit recurring. I'm in. Yeah, right. Exactly. So I think that was part of it. And then it was also like 2009. Um, you know, we're coming, we're in the midst of a recession and I just felt like, well, if I'm, you know, the whole world is kind of collapsed right now, but there's going to be some cool things that come out of this. And so it, it feels like a good time if I'm going to make a leap now. Um, where I could learn and, and you know, when we come on the other side of this, there'll probably be a lot of software companies that are doing well and I can and learn and, and maybe work on uh, with one of those. So yeah, that was, I don't know. I, it was, I didn't like what I was doing. I felt unfulfilled. I, I saw, because I had a banking background, I sort of saw different business models. Software was really attractive. Um, but the hard part for me was like going, I, I went early stage at a, at a tech company and I don't know how to code. So the way I did that was like moonlighting or teaching myself like online marketing. And that was my path into tech startups. So my first job was like a online marketing analyst at a, a tech startup in Chicago. Um, I sort of did the job until I felt like I was good enough. <laughs> Apologies to my first few customers, <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was basically just posting myself as a, as an online marketing expert on Craigslist and then doing that nights and weekends while I was doing my bank job until I felt like I could actually do the job. And that's when I ultimately decided to make the leap. I love it. See, I teach marketing and I teach my clients to stay away from people like you. <laughs> totally. You should have. Yeah. This first couple of I love that you're sitting here and just being completely transparent about it. Like yeah. I advertised myself as this expert until I was the expert and then I moved on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was trying. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. um, I believe it. I yeah. always tell people, I say these guys, they're not malicious. They just don't yeah. know what they don't know. It's like, oh, this can't be that hard. I can do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. That, uh, but to, to be fair at that time there were like, and it's probably why you tell your customers to stay away from it. No one really understood it that well. Like Google had a lot of tutorials that like the business owner could watch and learn, but they just didn't have the time because they like a lot of small business owners. Totally. No and they don't understand so. foundational marketing. I teach foundational marketing. 
I sure, think yeah, I'm sure. Because once you understand that, you'll know what tactic to plug in, how you might want to use it. You'll be able to assess if it's working or not. Without yeah. that, you're just like, oh, everyone's doing online marketing. Oh, oh, there's yeah. a guy on Craigslist who says he does it. Let's hire him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, yeah, my point was like, it's not that, like online marketing isn't that complicated. Like many, like the people that I was doing it for could have done it themselves. It was just like yeah. a leverage. All the instructions and yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. No, I totally hear you. Okay, so you're doing that. So where did you found Minute 7? Did they find you? Did you create it? Like, what's the genesis of this thing? Yeah, so from that first startup, I sort of got the bug and and really felt like this is it. This is, I've made the right decision. Um, but I've also bounced around a couple of times to different things as an entrepreneur. So um, my path to Minute 7 was I went, worked at a couple different startups. Some succeeded, some didn't. Um, I went back into finance a couple of times, um, but more like smaller finance groups. So like more entrepreneurial finance, I would say. Meaning um, similar job to what you did at the bank, spreadsheets well, and stuff? Yeah-ish. Like one was working at a private equity firm and one was working at an investment bank, but it was all spreadsheets. and. <laughs> Got it. Um, but through that, like those turns and twists, I really got focused not only on software, but on SaaS businesses, like B2B SaaS businesses. Yeah, let's just translate um, for anyone who didn't understand SaaS so, is software as a service, B2B right. business to business. So software services that service businesses. That's right. Yeah. And the opportunity that I saw that I was trying, that I wanted to, to do was like these smaller ones, they have the, the same attributes of a larger SaaS business. So whether a company's doing 500,000 in revenue or 10 million in revenue, the quality of the revenue is still very good. It's reoccurring. The churn rates tend to be really low. If it's a, you know, I really got narrowed in on like, I wanted it not only to be B2B SaaS, but I want it to be like mission critical software for, for a company so that they were less likely to churn than the typical. You guys, churn just means fall out, leave. Yeah, yeah, quit. churn is. It, Resign. Yeah. <laughs> so reoccurring revenue will maintain unless they leave. Um, and, mm -hmm. and if the software works in general, people just tend to stay with what, like any software that anyone uses. If it's working, they just tend to keep it and you're not charging too much. There's not really a reason to leave. Um, so anyway, that's where I got focused on. And then, uh, so I started searching for a company to purchase was the path to Minute 7. I found it on an online marketplace, so it was listed for sale. Um, I engaged with the founder. Uh, we went through a, a process um, of me trying to purchase the company outright. Uh, ultimately, we couldn't get a deal done, Esty. Um, but through that process, I was explaining like what I want, like my general investment thesis, like on what I wanted to do with the business after acquiring it. And the founder got really interested in that. So we, we worked out another deal where I own some of the business, but I don't own the majority of it. Um, and then we laid out like a three to five year plan on these are the things that I want to do with it over that time period. And right now we're at three and a half years into that plan. Um, and we've done a bunch of the things that we said we would do. So um, that's the sort of, line up to it it's sort of a non-traditional path i guess i don't know how many people are like looking to buy companies that end up partnering yeah, what's the, where are the marketplaces i think that's just a it totally not really relevant tangent but a fun one yeah. because i know a lot of people now who are looking to buy businesses yeah where where did you go where did you look how yeah, so, did you do that 
Yeah, so there's one really popular marketplace just for SaaS businesses called, and small SaaS businesses, it's called FE International. F like Frank, E like SD? Yep. Cool. Um, and so there's a bunch listed there. They're pretty active. Um, and then there's a couple other smaller ones. I haven't been looking for that regularly since I've been working on Minute 7, but there was like three or four where they post them and I was just sort of looking through it. A lot of them were not the quality or the type that I wanted. Like they were more product based. So they're like selling something on Amazon, which is not something that I was really focused on B2B SaaS. Um, and FE International has a lot of those. This one I found actually, Minute 7 was another um, marketplace called Latonas. So it's L-A-T-O-N-A-S dot com. Um, they have a mixture of businesses, but some of them are SaaS. And that's where I Minute 7 was listed. Um, but yeah, it, um, it's, I don't know. I, I haven't really talked to many other people. I know other people want to buy businesses, but small SaaS businesses, they're, they're for sale. Um, I would argue that they're, they trade at attractive multiples compared to like larger ones. Like the same business that minute seven is today, if it was larger, it would, would be worth a lot more, but it, it still has a lot of the quality. So if you can buy it at this price and get it to that price, then you get the expansion multiple. So if it, it trades at five times earnings now, if you grow it to a little bit more, it could trade at seven, eight, nine times um, uh, earnings. So, so it's like flipping houses, but you could flip SaaS businesses. You could, yeah. I mean, I've thought a little bit about that. Like if if I'm if there's stuff that I'm doing with Minute 7 that I feel is really repeatable, um, and I, there are some things I think that we've done that, that are true of many small best SaaS businesses um, that I think if you, you could almost raise a fund around it and execute. That's such an interesting business model. Okay. I just want to translate for guys, all of you listening, because Mark knows what he's talking about. I know what Mark's talking about, but I'm not sure if you know what we're talking about. So just the concept that a SaaS, right? So software as a service business um, will sell. So I did business brokerage for a while actually. Oh, okay. um, so I, I know the, the world of yeah. buying and selling businesses. So businesses sell typically on a certain multiple of what we call ROI, right? Return on investment. Um, and sorry, multiple of revenue based on ROI, all of the calculations. So if let's say the business is currently selling at five times what it's earning, cool. But if you can get it up, let's say you, you know, 5x profits, right? So you get it up to that five times play. So you've already broken even, but now it's not going to sell for the same price. It's going to sell for much more. And so you basically taken this business, added a little bit of value over whatever amount of time, and then you put it back in the marketplace, let someone else buy it and play with it, which is what people do when they flip houses. They buy a house, it's cheaper. They improve right. it. They put some nice stuff into it, reinforce it, whatever. And then they flip it, turn around and sell it again. They never planned on living there. They never planned on renting it out. And such an interesting model. I like it. I feel like that's a business in and of itself, flipping stuff. Yeah, totally. Business. I mean, I it's think own company. Could, yeah. I love it. It uh, totally would do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, um, anyway, that, that was the path. That's how I found it. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm 41 soon to be 42 next week. And when I started working on minute seven, I was 38, I think. Um, and I told my wife at the, uh, now still my wife, I told her, you know, at 38, I finally found out what I want to do with my life. Um, 
So I don't know. I've always considered myself kind of a late bloomer, but uh, it, it feels good to find something that you really like working on and you could see yourself working on for, for a long time. I like, I like spending my time on the problems that, that we're facing. I love that. And you know what? It's so funny that you say that because I just was online and I saw a post by somebody and it said, um, you know, 2010, I was 36 years old, terrible dead end job, single mom, miserable. 2020, you know, I'm, I'm 46 years old. I have a best-selling book, a speaking career. I do this. Yeah. And it's just like, because we hear the stories of all the people who find their place early. And then you hear stories of people who find their place very late, right? So everyone's like, oh, you know, Colonel Sanders and KFC. And you know, they tell these stories of like these people who like turn their life around late, but you don't hear that many stories of people who turn their life around in the middle. Right. And so I find it gives so much hope because for someone who's in their late thirties, they might be like, I'm in no man's land. Okay, maybe, you know, sure. when I'm older and the kids are grown and I have time, but you're, you're in the thick of it. Right. So if you did this a few years ago, you have your, you know, three kids under five. That means you had little kids. So you're married, yeah. you're little kids. You're in that thick of, you know, we'll call it midlife. Sure. And there is no time that this can't be done. And I think that's so encouraging. And anyone, guys, all of you listening, take that, take courage from that, take hope and take the knowledge that there is no age that you can't make this kind of decision. Yeah, that's. I think that's very true. I um, like if you look at my LinkedIn from like age twenty five to thirty five, like what is this guy doing? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I was bouncing around to different opportunities trying to figure it out. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like not to say that I won't face challenges ahead. We all do. But it, it, at thirty eight, I, I did have that strong feeling like this is what I, I want to do. And it, it, uh, it just took me longer than maybe, maybe I wanted it to. Right. But it doesn't matter because everything in the right time and you got there. Yeah, exactly. And there are people who are 39 and 49 and 59 who still are like, okay, maybe one day, you know, yeah. I'll have the ability to figure myself out. And there is, there's no waiting. There's yeah. Doing and and that to bring it back to like that job at the bank, like that, that was really the thing that pushed me over. SD was like, it was like 27 at the time, I think. And I was thinking if I'm, you know, 80 years old and on my way out, am I going to be really mad at myself because I worked at the bank for 40 years? And the answer was, yes, I was going to be really mad. And that was really what like projecting my life out was really what forced me to, to make the move. I um, like that. Yeah. All right. So you settled on minute seven. Minute yeah. seven helps professional service businesses with time and expense tracking, but how do they get paid faster? Is it a payment platform? Sure. So yeah, a little bit about the company. Thanks for asking. So we, we do um, time and expense tracking. We're specifically focused on professional services, which is sort of a generic term. But if you were to look at our, we have 7,000 users that use our product every day and they're engineering services companies, architecture firms, law firms, consultants. And the way we help them is trip those specific customers, what they're trying to do, SD, is they're trying to track time to a customer or a job. They're sort of saying, I work X hours and on they Y. they do hourly billing. Exactly. And then they want to get that data into QuickBooks for uh, billing purposes. So we just make that whole process for them super easy. So 
because we're not trying like there's a lot of time tracking softwares but a lot of them try- toggle so I'm sure gonna, you know i'm sure i'm not the first person to say like why are you different than toggle well, i love toggle i'm using it for at least five years yeah um so yeah i mean there's lots of them out there i think where where we differentiate is a couple of things like one toggle does time we do time and expense tracking um two is our tight integration with quickbooks so when i mentioned how we get people paid faster um it's like how quickly can you get a timesheet turned into an invoice um with toggle i don't know but i would argue we're fat we're better than anyone at that um and a lot of people re- rely on QuickBooks as their system of record for their financial information. So it's important for them to get that in, uh, in those time records into their financial system so that they can send an invoice, recognize the revenue, um, things like that. Um, I like that. But yeah, that's, we've been focused on that same customer. Um, but in addition to sort of getting paid faster, it's really about the interface. Like if there's, there's time trackers that try to do like time and attendance. So they'll have like, you know, clock in, clock out, biometric thumbprints, an iPad. And they'll also try to do time tracking for a law firm. And it's sort of like, well, how's a law firm going to use that same product as like a retail store? It just breaks down the experience for the, for the user. And because we're so razor focused on that professional services firm, it comes through in the, the product. Um, so that's what we hear back again and again it's just how simple and easy it is to use how it helps them turn their time and get paid how it helps them associate cost with different customers and jobs so they can do things like project cost analysis um so for a freelancer is it it doesn't sound like it's a freelancer service so much as it is like a bigger company right because a freelancer they like they track their hours they make an invoice they send it out they're done this sounds like when you have more people and you have a bunch of different people doing billable hours and all you want to do is click a button and have the invoice go out to the client i mean it's both so we do have like our customers we have a bunch of solopreneurs that use our product and again they're just tracking their time and then sending it to quickbooks for an invoice um, a larger company though, like we also have, we have customers that have 200 employees and their workflow is a little different, right? They have managers and people who are reviewing the timesheets and there might be a, a back and forth process of editing that timesheet before they approve it and sync it in into QuickBooks. Um, but yeah, ultimately they're both doing the same thing, which is tracking time to a customer or to a job. And then pushing it into QuickBooks for billing. And will it's just it track a, a, non-billable hours, or it only tracks billable hours. Uh, tracks billable and non-billable hours. Got it. And then you can track I love time. That properly solve a problem. <laughs> yeah, and then you can track things like your your payroll. So like payroll items. So if like people want to track vacation time, sick time, overtime, things like that, we're integrated with QuickBooks payroll, so you can log, have your employees log that in their system as well. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?